I made the argument that on paper, th- this is the, the Brewers' best ever team. You know, just, just talking about names, talking about depth. Uh, I, I call this the best the best team on paper in Brewers history. So, you know, there, there's never been a, a better, more talented, deeper pitching staff uh, in franchise history than this current uh, iteration. In full disclosure here, I didn't pick them to win the division because I didn't think their pitching depth would be enough to duplicate what they did last year. So what am I missing? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by a friend from Wisconsin, a voice. uh, Well, you got a new title, first of all, so that's exciting, and uh, I'll I'll get to that. But it's Todd Rosiak, and here it is, senior baseball writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Did I get that right? You got it right. Yeah, uh, it sounds weird to hear it. Attached to my name now because my, yeah. my longtime friend and colleague and your friend and colleague Tom Hogercourt, uh, you know, has since hung up hung up his uh, notepad and pen and recorder. So I've kind of stepped into those very large shoes and am trying my best to live up to the uh, fine reputation he forged for himself over the years. So we could probably record a forty-eight hour podcast about what <laughs> it's like talk or what it's like working with an established voice of prominence mount rushmore baseball writer in a market yeah yeah because um, i sure. you know two two great baseball writers like you mentioned uh hard to court there in milwaukee rick hummel here in st louis very shared histories there they've known each other for a long time um they're both uh they're both uh what they both could uh meet bob selig for a hot dog at lunch if they wanted yeah. to yeah, um, yeah yeah they both have him on speed dial if that's still a thing um they they both have flip phones. That's still a thing. <laughs> the, only, the, 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 the biggest difference, I think, is is, is you would agree is uh, Tom Tom a little bit more loquacious and louder than Rick is. But uh, yeah, very yeah, very yeah. Rick is loquacious, but uh, Tom uh, Tom Dom, Tom does fill a press box with his yes. presence. That is yeah, cool. yeah yeah yeah. Funny funny story about Tom before we get going uh, in spring training this year, first game. Uh, of Cactus League play, and we were probably I don't know an inning or two into it, and I turned to the press box and I and I just said out loud, "Isn't this weird? This it's so quiet in here." You know, of course, alluding to Tom not being there, and everybody kind of chuckled. And no lie, thirty seconds later, my phone started buzzing. I looked down and it was Tom. <laughs> he, he was uh, he was in the midst of his move to Virginia, where he now lives, and I put it on speakerphone, and everybody had a nice laugh and chatted with him for about an inning. So I think his ears were ringing. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I was I was wondering if maybe he has a good source still in the press box. So <laughs> yeah, now maybe. Be the there you go. Well, uh, as we're recording this, it's on the eve of the Brewers' visit to St. Louis for a four-game series. Uh, the Brewers have at the moment, as we're talking. A three-game lead on the Cardinals. Twenty-seven and sixteen are the Brewers. Twenty-four and nineteen are the Cardinals, and they they really have separated themselves from their from the division. Which really, that's not a surprise, right? This is a two-team division. We knew that basically when the Reds started to divest themselves of any talent. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Is that your view? Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred hundred percent. And uh, you know, I I've had some just just looking at it from the Brewers' perspective. Um, you know, writing all the season preview stuff as we do. Uh, I made the argument that on paper, th- this is the the Brewers' best ever team. Just on paper, really? you know, just just talking about names, talking about depth, and most importantly, talking about pitching from start to back. Uh, I, I call this the best the best team on paper in Brewers history. So, of course, that's got to that's got to bear out over the course of 162 games and in the postseason, but. Um, you know, there, there's never been a, a better, more talented, deeper pitching staff uh, in franchise history than this current uh, iteration. And uh, the, the the bullpen has been tremendous as well. So, you know, we can get into that a little bit more. But that was just kind of my hot take going into the season. I, I'm glad you brought that up because, full disclosure here, I didn't pick them to win the division mm-hmm. because I didn't think their pitching depth would be enough to duplicate what they did last year. So what am I missing? Well, I, I mean, if you look at that rotation, 
top to bottom, I, I would put it up against any rotation in baseball uh, right now. And, you know, certainly going into the season, mm-hmm. um, what is, what has happened since then? Uh, number one, Freddie Peralta is injured. We have to mark that, uh, note mm-hmm. that and he's on, uh, on the injured list. Uh, they've been able to plug in Aaron Ashby, who's their top pitching prospect and, and doesn't look like they're going to skip a beat there, but uh, the, the emergence of Eric Lauer, who was their number five yeah. starter last year, really has kind of put this this staff in a different place. And you could argue that Eric Lauer has actually been their best starter uh, this season, even better than Corbin Burns, who won the Cy Young last year. Numbers are are almost identical across the board. Uh, and going into every game, uh, you can pretty much pencil in minimum six innings from these starters. Uh, and then that, that's obviously a good place to be when you're handing the ball off to Boxberger, then Devin Williams, then Josh Hader. That's the, the you know, the typical, uh, the way, way it goes once the, the, the bullpen takes over. So Lauer has been the biggest difference. He's the only lefty in the rotation, but he's just pitched lights out and uh, increased velocity has been the biggest key for him. He's a true five pitch guy and uh, uh-huh. he's pitching with a ton of confidence right now. So he's been a, been a terrific addition, uh, and a guy that uh, really they got for uh, he and Luis Urias, their starting third baseman, two guys they got for a song in, in a trade with San Diego a couple years ago. Right. Yeah. I want, you know, Lauer, what has he said about the improvement he's made? Is that is that going off to one of these pitch craft shops and, and finding new ways to spin? Is there something that he changed? I mean, I, I remember, you know, when the Brewers got him from the Padres and sort of what his upside was, but the production wasn't there. So what right. has kind of, what, what has he said has been the big change for him, especially when you describe him as a five pitch guy. Yeah. It's very interesting because he, he was a guy when he, when he came over, uh, he, he was not able to hit the ground running because his first season with the Brewers was, was heading into the pandemic uh, right before spring training was canceled uh, with the pandemic. He injured his shoulder uh, then he was a close contact for COVID mm. and that was back when we didn't obviously didn't know as much about it. So it was this kind of long convoluted process before he was able to be cleared to participate in summer camp and then just never really got going. Um, did not pitch well in the two month season last year. Uh, he started the season in, in Appleton. So at the alternate training site, and that was when he was working with uh, new bullpen coach, Jim Henderson, who was actually Brewer's closer back in 2013. Uh, had I remember. a really good run for a year or so. Yeah, and then got yeah. hurt. Um, so he was working with Jim Henderson one day in the bullpen, and he started messing around. He's a, he's a big video guy like a lot of guys are, and he was watching video of Araldus Chapman and Tim Lincecum. And he just turned to Henderson and said, I'm going to try something. Don't, you know, don't think I'm crazy and and just, just let me do this and let me see what you think. So, you know, he was at that point, he was sitting 91, 92 of this fastball, which is pretty normal for him. And he did this, he did this kind of this convoluted thing where, you know, how all this Chapman kind of, kind of coils up a little bit as a, as a lefty and then unleashes. He did that. And Henderson was like, do that again. So then he did it again and he did it again. They're putting a gun on him and all of a sudden he's throwing 95 and they're like, what's the, this, this is interesting here, you know? So yeah. he tried a little bit of the, the Tim Lincecum with the real big exaggerated wind up, And he just wanted to see how that felt. And obviously that didn't stick, but this Araldus Chapman thing kind of stuck with him. And the, the Brewers basically, you know, every every organization has their own philosophy with pitching, of course, and mechanics and everything. And Lauer had always made uh, alluded to the fact that he kind of needs to be his own guy and he needs to do what works for him. And he had been doing what the Brewers wanted him to do during, you know, the early portion of his career with Milwaukee to, you know, not such great results. Well, he starts doing this Araldus Chapman thing. His fastball bumps up two, three miles an hour. And all of a sudden, he's a different guy. So, you know, the Brewers are like, well, hey, I mean, go with what works. And he's stuck with that ever since. And the guy's just been lights out. It's been incredible. So 
it, it sounds very simplistic, but he points back to that to that one solitary bullpen session that really kind of turned things around. And now he's gone from a guy who, you know, was out there and could be an innings eater, but was nothing special to a guy that really is a game changer and is pitching with tremendous confidence. Well, I did not, when, when I made that pick, I did not give him the credit that he was due, but I did kind of, well, I did include him in the notion that he'd be a big part of this, just as you described, like an innings guy. And, and that's where I kind of felt, the Brewers were thinner than advertised mm. uh, in part because last year they went to such great lengths to make sure that every one of their starters never pitched on anything less than what, five days of rest. Right. 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 And my thinking was that that's got to catch up with them at some point in time as nimble and as creative as Craig council is as fantastic as they've been at building a really deft and deep bullpen that at some point in time, they just couldn't continue to do that or wouldn't get the results necessary to day in, day out contend. Now, maybe this, this division is light enough that it won't be as costly, right? Like there isn't going to be like, you know, that, that red series maybe where, because you're, your, your pitcher staff has been tattered by a four game series against the Dodgers. Maybe that Reds series that that follows isn't doesn't pinch you as much. Maybe you still get through it. It doesn't cost you, so maybe that'll help. But do you, do you, I think as protective as they were with their pitching, that that was going to catch up and leave them short. Um, yeah. it, it, was I way off base on that? Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was interesting. You know, it's it's a it's an interesting point and and a legitimate point. And we were coming into this season, we were wondering as well, you know, like how, how are they going to handle the pitching? Cause there is a small market team, a team that does not have a, a gigantic budget. Uh, you know, obviously you want to protect your pitching depth as much as possible. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, you know, we were wondering if that six starter uh, rotation was going to continue into this year. Mm-hmm. And especially with the way that spring training worked and the, the late start with the lockout. Yeah. And everything, you know, several of those guys came out of spring training not not great. Um, you know, Brandon Woodruff is one for sure who just does not really kind of hit his stride yet. Uh, Freddie Peralta had been pitching well before he got injured, but he started out the season uh, not so hot as well. You know, uh, so the Brewers, the first probably two times through, were very cautious with guys. Were very um, judicious with their which with their pitch counts, and they were liberally mixing in Aaron Ashby uh, to make spot starts. But since that point, um, he's been very uh, Craig Council that is uh, very much back on board with you know hey we're we're good we'll let our guys go every fifth day um, you know we've got the the wraps completely off of them we'll let them go a hundred plus. Uh, and, and you know, these, these guys can, these get their big guys and, and their hosses and they can handle it. So it's just been interesting to see how, you know, they made it work last year in that six man deal, definitely mm-hmm. afraid of injury. And now, you know, good to go. The wraps are off and they're good with the five man and they're going to have to go with the five man right now with Freddie Peralta being out. So it'll be interesting to see if Aaron Ashby can, can hold up to that two making those regular starts every fifth day because this will be the first time since he was called up last year that he will be a a regular member of the rotation making regular starts rather than bouncing back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen I I think that's I think that's where it could falter for them I mean that you know and that if if the starters can't give them those innings then it acts asks the bullpen to do a little bit more and then they get weathered just a little bit more, weakened a little bit more, and it has that slow erosion of kind of, you know, like it just comes apart. That It just gets worn. It's yeah. not immediate, but it gets worn yeah. down. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, August gets real tough. And absolutely. their schedule, what do you make of their schedule? I mean, they've played some of the some of the weaker teams, some of the non-competitive teams a little bit more often than other folks so far. Do, do you think that their schedule hides anything? Yeah, um, the they they have not played a very strong schedule to this point, but they've also played a very road centric uh, schedule mm, to this point. point. So that kind of kind of counterbalances it a little bit there. Um, 
you know, the, the challenge they're in the midst right now. Um, they're, they're finishing up in San Diego as we speak. They, they travel to your fair city next and then they go to Chicago. So they're in the midst of this trip right now. It's three cities, 11 games, 10 days. They got a double header against the Cubs, uh, opening wow. up on Memorial day. Um, but they're in the midst of three straight trips of three cities. So uh, it, it's going to be taxing, and they've got some injury problems right now. Freddie Peralta is not the only guy who's out. Uh, Willie Adamas has been out, their shortstop. Hunter Renfro just went on the aisle with a hamstring strain. So their depth is definitely um, – their depth was not their strong suit to begin with, but it's definitely going to be tested now uh, over the next several weeks as these guys um, – you know, start trying to, to recover and get back from these injuries. Peralta's looks like a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. He's going to be out for a significant amount of time, Craig Council said. Um, Willie Adamas will not be back for the Cardinals series, it doesn't sound like. Uh, Hunter Renfro definitely will not be, but those two guys, Adamas and Renfro, should be back within, you know, a, probably a week to 10 days, I would guess. So what's Peralta dealing with? And, and is a long time possibly – not at his best again this season and look for 2023? Uh, I don't know about that. It sounds like they're expecting him to be back and pitching uh, at some point Mm. this season. Well, all we've been told is it's basically a posterior shoulder strain. So uh, it sounds like what they're going to do is just basically completely shut him down, uh, let him recover, let that heal up a little bit. And then, as we all know, the starting pitcher, it's a long process to get those guys built back up and stretched out again. So, um, you know, Freddie, as far as their rotation goes, Freddie's the Freddie's their their known commodity in that he's a young guy. He signed a very team friendly deal a couple of years ago. Um, so he, he they have him on the cheap and they want to keep him long term as, as good as they can and as healthy as they can. So they're going to definitely treat this this injury with uh, treat him with kid gloves as far as that goes. So um, it, it, I. I I just based this is nothing but a guess, but just based off of the kind of the what we've been hearing and everything, that this is a an injury that could keep him out until the second half. Mm. Of those three, which of the injuries because Adonis changed that team last year. Yeah. Uh I mean, I don't think there's any other way. I mean, I put him on my MVP ballot in part just because he so radically shifted the division race in the sense that the Brewers saw a guy who wasn't succeeding where he was. They had a good read on what he could bring to them, what what it could mean to get him out of Tampa Bay, and and that and I mean he just struggled at that ballpark in some ways too, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then he just they moved quickly to make that trade, and that changed the race when helped along by the fact that the Cardinals kind of moved a little slower, not a, not a little, a lot slower to address their starting pitching need. Um, that was remarkable. I mean, those three absences, it, it sounds like two of them are going to be short term, so maybe not as costly. Is that fair? Yeah, 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 definitely. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're 100% right with Willie Adamas. You know, it's, it's incredible. Just, just from the day he walked into that clubhouse, what he brought in terms of energy, enthusiasm, um, it, 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 amazing what one guy can do. Not not to change the culture, but to add to it and, and improve mm-hmm. upon it because it, it, it always has been. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's always been a very. It was a very good clubhouse before he got to the team. Now it's a tremendous clubhouse. It's very very close knit. Um, everybody likes everybody. He's just one of those guys that just makes you feel good when you talk to him. You know, he's always got a kind word, a smile, fist bump for everybody. How's it going? How you doing? Um, you know, and then you, you factor in obviously what he does on the field, which is tremendous. He's tied for the team lead in homers, a uh, really good defensive player. He's just, just a tremendous, tremendous asset. So to get him back here in the short term is going to be very big. <coughs> Excuse me, Hunter Renfro. You know, obviously they, they picked him up in the offseason. Yeah. David, David Stern's needing uh, executive of the uh, year award for uh, being able to, to get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. and bringing in Hunter Renfro. Uh, obviously, the Brewers had a part with a couple of pretty good prospects to, to get the deal done, but he's been a tremendous addition as well. Um, you know, he's power proven power hitter, tremendous uh, outfielder, tremendous throwing arm. 
and another good guy in the clubhouse. So uh, to get to get both those guys back in a reasonable amount of time and getting them healthy is going to be huge because, as I said before, the depth of this team is not its strength. And uh, Luis Urias, I can almost guarantee you, will have one or two throwing errors over this four-game series in St. Louis over the weekend. Uh, that's just how he rolls when he's playing shortstop. And uh, Tyrone Taylor, we'll, we'll see time in right field with Hunter Renfro out. He's a, not a young guy, but he's an ascending outfielder with some power potential and a guy that the Brewers drafted way back in 2012 and is finally coming into his own. So, um, you know, they, the Brewers can get through this little spell here without those two and uh, at least tread water, then I think they'll be all right. It's not an overstatement to say that the Brewers will go where their pitching takes them, right? I mean, that's true for a lot of teams. Yeah. I mean, that's probably true for every team. But the Brewers particularly, they, they, they their pitching has to – be there for them to win the division. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. You know they, they cannot afford they cannot afford another injury to one of their starters. Definitely. Uh, you know they're fortunate in that they got some experience for Ashby last year, and he's pretty much primed to step into that spot and, and perform. He's got some nasty stuff. Um, you know, so they're they're in good shape there. If they have another injury, they'd have to dip into the minors. Their other top pitching prospect has not been to the majors yet. Um, He's he's put up really good numbers in the minors. He's he's been killing it at AAA this season, but he is not a guy like Ashby that relies on nasty stuff. He is a guy that relies more on deception, throwing mm-hmm. hitters off with uh, you know by varying his uh, his speed to the plate, uh, th- those kinds of things. It's more tricks than that, that actual great stuff that gets the job done for him. And of course, he just doesn't have that experience either. So if they're if if they lost one other starter and they had to plug him in, I think then then all bets are off, and it definitely would be a a, a much tougher road to hold for those guys. So with that in mind, how vital is it for the Brewers to have a bounce back year from Christian Yelich? It's huge. It's huge, and it, it's a it's a name that you know people have been talking about since the 2019 runner up uh, MVP finish. Mm-hmm. As everybody remembers, he fouled that ball off his knee in Miami, and he and he's literally never been the same player. Um, and for whatever reason, he th- there's just never been any kind of I don't know if resolution is the right word or solution to his problems. Uh, he he has improved. Let's get that out of the way. You know, he's not he's not a broken player. I wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, may, I. You know, we can talk about this too. I don't know if you want to make the comparison. Certainly, Paul DeYoung is not Christian Yelich, but it's almost like sometimes you wonder, like, did the guy just forget to hit? How 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 do you hit? You know, and there it was a there was a point in time where we thought that about Yelich, especially last year. This year, he's shown some signs. You know, obviously, he's already had that he had that cycle several weeks ago in Cincinnati, third career cycle against Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> I covered both of them at Great American Ballpark, and it was just there you nuts. Go. Yeah. Um, and he hit the but, the he got the triple last and hit it yes. right in the one spot where you can get a triple. There, exactly, exactly. Remarkable. And uh, so, like so Fats he, Domino couldn't have put Tiger Woods couldn't have had a better lob shot for a <laughs> triple. Yeah, than and Christian he, he Yelich really, did against a moving ball. Yeah, and he really went out and got that pitch too because it, yeah. it was actually up and almost out of the zone, and he was able to get on top of it and line it down the, the right field line. But um, you know, he he the peripheral numbers are there to make you think that Yelich is not far away. Um, mm. You know, he he's in the, he's in the the, the top tenth percentile in most of the uh, you know the analytical departments. You know, the hard hit and the, the exit velocity and all the things that you want to see from a guy. It's just it's just basically like he's had a lot of bad luck, and uh, when he, when he's hitting the ball hard, he's hitting it right at guys more often than not. I'm watching mm-hmm. the San Diego game right now as we uh, as we do this, and he just missed a homer to the opposite field off of you Darvish, uh, crushed it, but just died a uh, died short of the wall there in San Diego. Of course, we know that's not the greatest hitters park by any means. It's not. So no. yeah, get you know my long convoluted way of saying. Getting Christian Yelich back and not even not even expecting him to be the MVP Christian Yelich of 2018 and 2019, 
getting him back to being Christian Yelich in his later days with the Miami Marlins, I think the Brewers would be satisfied at this point. A guy that you know is going to hit 280 to 300, can hit you 20 homers, drive in 80 to 100 runs. I, I think the Brewers would be would be pleased, very pleased, to be able to get that Yelich back with hopes that maybe he could improve upon that moving forward. The, uh, the, you mentioned Paul DeYoung, who's in AAA with the Cardinals, had a three-for-five day with a home run in his first home game with the AAA Redbirds. Um, you know, he's there trying to find his swing. Uh, you know, tough call for the Cardinals. He just he, – he had – he seemed to be making his way back during spring training, lots of positive strides, and then things just kind of cratered, and, and they, they really uh, – just deepened on him. It was almost like even you know you take a step forward, then get to two strikes and take six steps back. Yeah, um, and it, it you know it was they gave him a long run to to sort it out and then made the call to demote him. Um, that's not the comparison that I was thinking of. Um, I I wonder about Christian Yelich and Matt Carpenter, mm, a guy yeah. who you know left-handed batter, similar in the sense that you know they're both lean. Um, came to power later. Um, you know, Yelich had more power earlier, and then Carpenter had that big year of power. Uh, Yelich is not, as you just described, not the pull hitter that Carpenter was, but you know, Yelich is also not kind of the command of the strike zone that Carpenter had. So, yeah, um, the, the comparison isn't complete, um, but it's close in the style of left handed hitters that they are as far as their swings. And the the idea that like gosh you know like a back injury or a knee injury or what that does to a base or what that does to that kind of torque that they get can they be the same hitter and that that's right. what I've often wondered is yeah. you know how does Yelich you know we've seen Vado adjust um, through injuries through shifts through how he's pitched um, with you know that left-handed bat but you know he's a future Hall of Famer and mm-hmm. just a remarkable player in the sense that he what led the league and on base percentage so many consecutive years in a row. Um, I just, I wonder like if there's some similarity between what Christian Yelich is having to overcome physically and for how he's pitched and for what he's seeing that Matt Carpenter also faced. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not, I don't quite remember, you know, as far as Carpenter and his health and all that kind of stuff, you know, as he aged, um, but you know, Christian he had back would, stuff in uh, Springs and okay. during would get that stiff back. And, yeah. you know, Yelich had that one stretch where he missed against the Cardinals because of the lower stiff back. Yeah. Yeah. So he, luckily for him, he's been really very healthy, um, since early last season, he had a couple stints on the IL where the, the back was acting up, mm-hmm. but since then he's had no issues at all. You know, he's played pretty much every day. The back has been good. They figured out a, a kind of a, a, a workout slash rehab um, regimen awesome. that works yeah. for him. And Craig Council is also very good about spotting guys like him days. And, and now, of course, with the DH, too, you can get a guy off a day off his feet while still keeping him in the lineup. So, uh, you know, they've been very good about that, and he's been able to remain healthy. There's been absolutely no issues with that knee that he hit the ball off of um, that caused that whole initial thing back at the end of 2019, which is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, he, he's getting older. He just turned 30, and and obviously he signed long-term. And for a small market team like the Brewers to be paying a guy $26 million, you certainly want to make sure you're getting your money's worth. Uh, to this point, they I, I would argue they have not, but – that's not to say that Christian Yelich still cannot be a, a really good player for them over the long haul. It's it just obviously would behoove them to get to get to get it sooner than later, of course. And you know they, the way their offense was built a couple of years ago, not only were, were they counting heavily on Christian Yelich, but also uh, Keston Hira, you know, right. young guy who you know just was tremendous his rookie year, nineteen homers, forty nine RBIs in limited time, looked like a budding superstar. And just again, completely fell off the radar, and has been nothing, nothing like what he was back in 2019. And he's he's shown signs as well. He's revamped his setup at the plate. He used to have this kind of this elaborate toe tap and then a leg lift and everything. He's gotten rid of the toe tap, and he's kind of uh, shortened up his stroke a little bit. 
and he's showing signs. He had a crushed a monster walk off to uh, beat the Braves last week in extra innings at American Family Field. Um, he's had some big moments, but he just has not um, been able to put it all together consistently. Mm-hmm. And his lack of positional positional versatility hurts him as well because the Brewers are pretty well entrenched right now at first base with Rowdy Telez, who's, sure. who's having a breakout season. And of course, Colton Wong, your old friend down there, he's, uh, he's set at second base. So Keston here pretty much has, uh, you know, he bounces between first, second and, uh, and DH and, and more often than not is just going to have to get an at bat off the bench every now and again. One of the big similarities that the Brewers and the Cardinals share is that they both punch above their weight class um, in mm-hmm. terms of market size. Uh, and they both do it with help from their fans. I mean, it is the support of the fan base in both places that helps them kind of, if you know, act and often spend beyond their market size. The Milwaukee and Cincinnati jockey back and forth between being the smallest market in baseball. Um, the Cardinals are lower third, or St. Louis is lower third, so larger than both of those two. Um, but they, they they all do pretty well, or not they all do, but Milwaukee and St. Louis do pretty well as far as spending beyond that, doing their best to, to keep players. Obviously, the Cardinals have traded for, and then in Goldschmidt's case, re-signed um, two players who are making you know more than $25 million this year. Uh, not sure the Brewers could load up right, like that in terms of salary. Could they, could they carry two guys? They're around that $30 million salary mark. Yeah, that's, that's pushing it for those guys. Um, yeah, basically they're the way they're constructed. They, they can, they can afford one Yelich per cycle, basically. Okay. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have a little bit more payroll flexibility next season when uh, Lorenzo Cain's contract comes up and he's off the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're certainly not getting their money's worth out of him. He's, he's, you know, seen his better days and he's nothing more right now than a, a platoon player at best mm. but um you know they they've been they've been judicious they've been smart otherwise obviously david stearns is regarded as one of the better front office executives in baseball and um you know what he's been able to do in his uh time in the front office for the brewers since 2015 has been nothing short of remarkable and yeah. uh, you know you talked about the pitching before and that that to me is the biggest thing is you know they went from a traditionally just pitching poor um, position, uh, and this is no exaggeration. You know, this is coming from somebody who's grown up and, and lived in Milwaukee area his whole life. Uh, you know, we're talking, you know, going two two and a half decades of just horrible pitching to all of a sudden an embarrassment of riches in the pitching department. So much of that, much of that uh, credit goes to David Stearns and his staff for being able to put that together. And now Ben Sheets was really good there, man. Yeah, you know, he was good. No, no question about it. But for every Ben Sheets, you had fifteen uh, <laughs> wasted first round picks who just never panned out. You know, I mean, Cal Eldred, man, we got to go back to Cal Eldred. Yeah, I can, Cal I can start. Was, was solid as well, of course. But the problem is, those guys were once every ten years, and you only had okay. one of them. You know, like, okay. I mean, you've got. Uh, it, I, and this is no, this is no joke. I mean, Eric Lauer would have been far and away the ace of any Milwaukee staff. I mean, even going back, this is my 12th year on the beat. Yeah. You know, Brewers had Giovanni Gallardo when I first started covering the team, unquestioned ace. He was 2011, 12, 13, basically from 14 up until 2021, Eric Lauer would have far and away been the number one starter, unquestioned. And, you know, and this is a guy that's, you know, three, four, five right now in their rotation. So it's, it, it's pretty remarkable. And uh, again, one of the, the major reason why the Brewers are where they are right now is just the, the, the pitching has been outstanding. I was playing checkers with my questions and you were playing chess. So you were ahead of me. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you, cause you mentioned Stearns. I, when I was describing the comparisons between the Cardinals and the Brewers, one of the things that stands out to me is that the Brewers have become the team that the Cubs wanted to be, the one that was ahead of the Cardinals year after year, multiple years in a row in the division. Uh, In many ways, the Brewers are now the class of the NL Central. Um, They're the one with the longest postseason run. They're the one that has been year in, year out here recently, the favorite to win the division. Uh, And yet they seem to be overlooked. 
And the question I wanted to ask you was how long can they keep the two of the guys who are most responsible for that there in Milwaukee? And that's Council and Stearns. Can they keep that? I mean, we know what Yelich has signed long-term. We know what the on-the-field looks like and what the pitching will look like for several years. Don't know how long Hayter is going to be there, for example. Yeah. Um, but Williams seems ready to move in there, and they'll they'll find a way to cycle through because they have Stearns and Council there. How long can they keep that tandem together? Yeah, that's a good question, it's, and it's one that the uh, the New York media has been consistently asking her for the last couple of years. Um, you know, it, it, the backstory with David Stearns, obviously, he's a, he's a Manhattan guy, kid, New York guy, grew up rooting for the Mets, and now that you have this uh, multi-billionaire, Steve Cohen, uh, owning the Mets, and, and money, of course, is no object to him everybody's connecting the dots and saying David Stearns is a no brainer to, to take over the baseball operations there perhaps as early as next season. Uh, Mark Adonazio is very competitive uh, owner of the Brewers. He it will quickly say, Hey, not so fast guys. You know, he's, he's under contract to us and uh, he's not allowed anybody to speak to David Stearns uh, in several years, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. regarding a uh, jumping ship. The contracts, uh, of course, those are things that are very closely guarded secrets. And, yeah. and from what I've seen, nobody really has been able to unearth what David Stearns's contract status is. Um, the best that we can discern is that he, he has some sort of out clause, depending on how far the Brewers go in the postseason this year. I've seen some some reports that suggest that it's the the NLCS. Some reports that suggest it's the World Series. What, to be honest, we just don't know. Um, you know, oh, like they, a, that he has an escape clause that if they yeah, get that far, yeah, 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 then a yeah. reward for him is he can go yes, free. Wow, exactly. Yeah, and and uh, I I am fairly certain. Again, we don't know this for sure, but. He, he may only have a year or two left on his deal. This, the, they, they keep this stuff incredibly close to the vest. Hmm. Um, so in, in one way or the other, there's going to be some sort of reckoning with David Stearns within the next couple of years. And obviously there's tremendous interest from, from outside in him because the guy's done such a tremendous job. I think the Brewers are positioned to withstand that blow if he does move on. Matt Arnold is uh, has been David Stearns' right-hand man the entire tenure he's been here and uh, really comes, you know, kind of cut from the same cloth, kind of comes from the same um, baseball background, so to speak, has been around forever, knows everybody, young, energetic guy. I think the Brewers would do just fine with Matt Arnold, um, you know, kind of running the show from the front office. Craig Council, different story. Uh, I j- actually just finished this long kind of uh, – long retrospective story since uh, he's if they uh, assuming that I can't remember the exact number, but probably by the end of next week, Craig counts will have become the Brewers all-time winningest manager. Mm-hmm. He'll pass um, uh, Phil Garner in that regard. Yeah. Another name from the past there. Um, th- th- this is a guy, Craig council who is born and raised Wisconsin bleeds brewer blue his dad worked in the front office when he was a kid you know i, I spoke to, to craig's dad last week for this story and he told me some great um anecdotes about uh starting at age eight nine he was in the clubhouse already he was he was being paid by paul molitor and robin yount to help manage their fan mail in the clubhouse huh. as a little kid you know and now here he is running the show for the brewers and now he is getting fan mail Exactly. A lot of fan mail. And I'm guessing he doesn't answer it because he's a busy guy, but uh, senior manager in the National League now, third longest tenured manager in baseball, if you can believe that, which is crazy. He's in his eighth year. Uh, it, it, it would take a lot, I think, for Craig Council to part ways with the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers absolutely love him. Everything he brings to the table in terms of the X's and O's, the way he deals with the players, the way he deals with people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the fans love him. He loves, you know, he, he still lives in the same town he grew up in. He lives right down the street from Craig council park, uh, you know, park and named in his honor. It's just the guy, the guy is Wisconsin. The guy is Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, it, I think he's a, he's the long-term guy and, and I think he continues to do it until he no longer wants to do it. 
Does he chew cheese curds and not bubble gum during games? Is he that <laughs> uh, Wisconsin? He actually chews bubble gum mixed in with uh, chewing tobacco. Oh, uh, lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a little secret. He he, he clued us in last week. Uh, he's heard from Major League Baseball a few times. That's a I'm sure. Now. Uh, so he pays his fines. It's a, the the one the one vice that he has. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure he does like his cheese curds too. But he's a, he's a pretty fit and trim guy. So I think he he kind of. Uh, Keeps that stuff in check for the most part. Yeah, so he's Milwaukee so. in moderation, which is admirable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Definitely likes his beer. Definitely likes his beer. But uh, yeah, cheese curds. I don't. I, I think he only does it every so often. So I, I think he's probably the best manager in the National League. I think you make that argument. Uh, I know there might be some leaning towards Buck Showalter now that he's back in the game and the history he has. Um, but I, I think. Council's management of the bullpen has been sneaky great for years. Yeah. Uh, in part because of the 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 clear commitment he gets from the players. So that to me hints at how clear he is in communicating their what he wants. Um, not getting bogged down in roles, not yep. getting bogged down in politics. Um, I think he gets such clear buy-in from those pitchers. That, to me, speaks to how he handles a clubhouse um, and how much confidence they have, um, both the players and the front office, in his creativity and his ability to kind of execute, not just to execute, but to envision, articulate, and execute a plan. I think think he's got to be among the best at that. Uh, somewhat in the way that the Giants get a lot of credit for how they utilize their lineup, rightfully so. Um, but Council's been doing this for years with the bullpen. Yeah. Um, you see him day in, day out. How forthcoming is he with how he views these things? And, and how do you view him as far as like, a, I don't know if many people would call him a cutting edge manager, but they ought to. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he, he definitely, since he's been manager, he's been, he's been a guy who's never been afraid to think outside the box. And he, he will regularly say that in a small market with limited resources, you have to be able to be that you have to be able to be open-minded about things. You have to be creative because you can't buy your way out of situations like the Dodgers can, or the Yankees can, Um, you know, this isn't necessarily, uh, you know, bullpen related, but, you know, thinking back to when, uh, the trade deadline in 2018 when they traded for Mike Moustakis. Well, why did you do that? You, you know, you had Travis Shaw entrenched at third base. Well, we're going to make Travis Shaw a second baseman. What? What? Yeah, He's never played yeah. second base. Well, they did it, and it worked. Now, obviously, you have to have the player buy-in, um, and, and Travis Shaw did, and to his credit, he did a pretty darn good job there. Then the next year, uh, Travis Shaw was at third base, and Mike Moustakis was at second base. And he bought in, you know, these are veteran guys who look around and number one, they respect Craig council. They respect what he did as a player, you know, as a, as a guy who was physically limited skills wise, but still managed to stick around for 16 years in the majors, of course, win two uh, world series rings along the way. Uh, you know, they guys respect that. And, and now the winning tradition that the brewers have kind of, uh, forge for themselves over the last several years. And really since Craig council has been manager, that carries a lot of weight. So, you know, Craig council is it, it, like, you noted is not big on roles. You know, you don't, you don't want to ask him about a setup guy. You don't want to ask him about a closer. Uh, he, he calls all his pitchers out getters. It's not, <laughs> you know, they're not, that that's what they're called out getters. You don't call, you don't talk about starters and, and bench players. That's the position player group. That's how you respond. That's how you how he calls his uh, what do you what he calls his his position players. Uh, he's just very specific about that stuff. And really, um, you know, in, in the usage, Josh Hader, hundred percent closer. We'll only use him in the ninth inning. We'll only use him in save situations. Devin Williams, unquestioned setup guy. Uh, we'll use him when Josh Hader is not available in the ninth inning for save situations. Other than that, every guy is available to pitch at any time and in any situation, and he's not afraid to, to utilize those guys. Um, if, there's one, if there's one weakness in this team right now, the Brewers, 
it's it's the front end of the bullpen. Um, really not great. Bunch of guys, basically. And, and the Brewers, for years, have, have really taken advantage of that that AAA shuttle, you know, like shuttling yeah. guys in and out, getting fresh arms, just constantly getting guys back and moving guys back and forth. And occasionally they'll hit on somebody. But I would expect that to continue here through the first part of the season until, uh, you know, leading up to the trade deadline, like every good general manager does, trying to gird up for the postseason run, um, you know, add a bullpen arm or two uh, for that stretch run of the trade deadline, and, and then you're good. But um, it's, it's, it's very fun. It's really fun and very entertaining to watch Craig Council manage and to try to get Craig Council to explain how he manages because – he doesn't like doing that so much. He doesn't like lining up right. questions. He doesn't, he doesn't. He understands we have a job to do, but he just he just kind of rolls his eyes when we try to get explanations for, from him on this stuff. So, the for for a long time, and I mentioned the the Cubs, but you know there've been other teams, Cincinnati through the years, uh, who have said either to their beat writers or to folks like me when we come through and ask them you know, about what they're trying to build. They they say you know they want to build something like the Cardinals where they they contend every year. They're self-sustained. They get contributions from their farm system. Um, I get a sense that the Brewers wouldn't say that anymore. I, I get the sense that if pressed, maybe even not even pressed, maybe they advertise it, that they would rather be the Brewers, that they think they're the class of the division. Yeah, they're, um, the, the mindset has, has definitely changed. And again, you know, it, I, I, I feel like I have a pretty good um, handle on just kind of the fan perception just because I, yeah. I was here my whole life. And, and I remember as a kid, you know, growing up and, you know, being in sixth grade when the Brewers went to the World Series in 82, still the only World Series appearance for the team, and being in class and having the teachers roll in the, the big TVs on the big TV stands. And we went back when World Series games would be played during the day. And we would get to watch uh, for an hour, you know, the World Series games and singing along with all the the Miller commercials and everything, all the kids in class. Like, th- those are the days, you know. That's when the Brewers were the Brewers. Well, then 83, 84, 85 rolls around, and you it was the start of this really long and protracted dry spell for the team. Just, you know, ownership was not great. And, and who was the owner at that time? Bud Selig and his family. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, uh, you know, did not want to spend the money. Uh, you know, you had some great players along the way, Hall of Famers, Robin Yount, um, Paul Molitor, obviously at the top of that list, but just not really any kind of sustained success. Mark Adonazio buys the team back in 2003, four in that area, 2005. Can't remember the exact year, but the, the 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 mindset changed. You know, and this was a guy who you know, New York billionaire you know, comes in, buys a small market team and says right away, I want to contend. And of course it took several years. It took several draft cycles, but you know, they brought in the Prince Fielders, the Ryan Brauns, uh, and over the course of time with some, with some good uh, personnel moves, some good front office moves, they've, they've really built themselves into an organization now where the fans expect a winner every year and, and are, are upset when, they don't go to the World Series. And granted, they haven't gone there since 82. Uh, I I would argue that they underachieved last year, certainly. Uh, They Mm -hmm. lost the Braves in the NLDS. They, of course, went on to win the World Series. Um, 2018 was probably their best shot. Um, You know, they lost in seven games in the NLCS to the Dodgers. Tremendous team back then. But it's it's just really kind of reset the fans' perspective and the fans' expectations the fans expect this team to be in contention every year now, and the Brewers welcome that. Mark Adonazio welcomes that. Craig Council welcomes that. And it's just really amazing to see uh, compared to what it was, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago when it's just like, you know, once spring training was over, then the fans are like, oh, okay, well, let's get to the end of the season. You know, we're, we're tired of these guys because they stink. And more often than not, they were right. So what is that like? And this, this is the last thing I ask you. Uh, what is that like covering a manager who shares your same childhood experience? I mean, if you it's both cool. grew up in that area, you both have shared brewer memories from your boyhood, right? 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, it's, we're a little closer. Yeah. It's, it's cool. So we're, so Craig is about a year older than I am. And when I started covering the Brewers in 2011, that was his last year as a player. Okay. And I did not talk to Craig Council for the entire first half of the season because I was intimidated. Now, huh. can, can, can I can I use the A word on this podcast? You just used it probably the way you should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So he Craig Council, you know, there's an old baseball term. Uh, he he had the A most of the time, just kind of a cranky, crotchety old guy, veteran, you know, in the club. I believe the red A, right? The red A, exactly. Yeah. So I steered clear of him, clear of him. And I remember specifically one time walking through the tunnel to the dugout and Craig was walking toward me and I'm thinking in my head, like, Oh, okay. you know, like I'm not even going to say anything to him. Cause generally speaking, he's probably not going to say anything to me. And as I walked past him, he said, uh, something, you know, like, Hey, how about, uh, how about that recruit that Marquette just signed? And I was like, what? Cause I, I came from the Marquette beat covering college basketball for the previous 10 years. And I was God. like, I said, I didn't know you followed Marquette. He's like, Oh yeah, I go to all the games. He's like, I've read all your stuff for years. And I was like, wow, okay. So this guy's really perceptive, you know? So that was, that was kind of like the first, the first interaction that I had with him. And then he go, he retires at the end of 2011, goes into the front office for several years, winds up becoming the manager in 2015. So I kind of got a, got in on the ground floor with Craig. We're the, around the same age, you know, got to know him toward the end of his playing career knew him throughout his his front office tenure and then was here on the ground level when he was hired as manager so um that that you know that kind of you you know you have that framework of a relationship that's already built and it helps and then then the fact that like you mentioned that we we both grew up in the area um you know we're, bo- we're both born and raised here lived here our whole lives um yeah there there's definitely some similarities and some some camaraderie in that respect and, you know, in the, in the times that you do have to talk about things other than baseball, you know, it's all it's all it's talking about the Bucks, you know, and the, the great run they've had the last couple of years. It's talking about the Packers. It's talking about Craig's kids. You know, both both of his sons are uh, Division One college baseball players. Uh, one of them is at University of Minnesota and the other one is finishing up his senior year here and he's going to Michigan next year. So things like that. And, and it's it's a real unique perspective to have grown up rooting for this team and now covering them. And um, for him, for Craig, obviously growing up, being in the clubhouse, his dad working for the team for so many years and now, you know, then playing for them and now coaching them. It's, it's, it's really kind of uh, full circle for both of us. And it's, it's pretty cool. Have you got, have you all ever traced if you were in the same place at the same time as kids? Like, did you shop at the same Woolworths? You know, <laughs> the same Zare was? We, uh, we actually shared kind of moments that are now gone. I, you know, I wonder if, so, so the, the one place, so he grew up, he grew up in still is on the North, kind of the North shore of Milwaukee County. And yeah. I grew up in kind of like Southwest Milwaukee, uh, like suburban Milwaukee. So okay. if, as the crow flies, we're probably what, we were probably what a half hour from each other. But the one common place that we may have bumped into each other and not known it was um, every you know every community back then had batting cages, and uh, I don't, I'm sure you remember the name Mike Hegan. So you know, yeah, long, yeah. former former uh, longtime major leaguer, he was a broadcaster for the Brewers for many years. Mike Hegan had a, a batting cage slash baseball workout facility called Mike Hegan's Grand Slam, which was on the north side of Milwaukee. And that's where all the high school baseball players in the area went every off season, basically to hit, just to go hit in the fast cages. And I spent many an afternoon there, many a night there, many, many dollars there, many, many rolls of quarters. And Craig actually used to work there as well, I believe. So huh. I, I'm, I'm almost positive that I that I would have crossed paths with him there at some point. You know, obviously didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was back then. And he was a much more accomplished player than I was in high school. But that that there may have been those odd times that we bumped into each other at some at some point at Mike Hegan's Grand Slam and never knew it. That explains a lot because he, of course, would have worked at a batting cage as a kid because that's where he would have seen all the batting stances that he tried. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. And that, right. and then for him to come up with the one that he actually used is like, did amazing. he take that from you? Uh, no, no, oh, okay. no was that wasn't more, your, no, much more conventional. I, I, I fancied <laughs> myself, uh, Gary Sheffield. Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, he's a, he was a brief Denver Zephyr. Um, yes. Yes. Him of my did not, youth did as not he work did not work yep, no. for me as well as it worked for Gary, obviously. But no, the uh, bug, yeah. buggy whip swing that he had. Holy yeah, those cow. wrists were incredible. Remember, you know, so so stances and everything. That's always fun to talk about. Um, I th- this spring, uh, Tony Gwynn Jr., obviously former Brewer, yeah. now broadcaster for the Padres. He was in Maryvale for a, a Brewers Padres game, and I'll, I'll just I'll give you the Cliff's notes version of this. I'm a I'm a collector of certain things i don't know if you remember back in the day um players sometimes had those wristbands with their pictures on them sure sure yeah dusty baker still has them yes so i I i'm actually very good friends with the gentleman who created those james mims wow Um, so his dad actually is the is the press box attendant at dodger stadium you probably talked yeah yeah you never knew it yeah, no, no, so, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, I, I didn't know huge, you were friends with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a huge collection. I basically have every player who's ever had a wristband um, cool. that I bought from James over the years. I can show you pictures someday. But anyway, so long story short, Tony Gwynn is uh, one of the most famous guys and one of several Hall of Famers who wore those wristbands. He is one wrist, one of the wristbands, one of the few that I do not have. And I saw Tony Gwynn Jr. at the ballpark, and I told him this. And I was like, "Man, I said, I wish I, I, I wish you knew a way of a way to get your hands on one of your dad's old wristbands because that's one of the ones that I really need." I'm like, "I'll buy it. I'll, I'll donate money to charity, whatever the case may be." And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I, I'll ask my mom next time I talk to her and see. We might have some laying around the house." So then he's like, Do "You have a big collection of these, so I have all these pictures in my phone." So mm-hmm. I started pulling out the pictures of my phone and showing them. And he's like, oh, my God, these are great. So we're sitting in the in the um, broadcast booth at Maryvale. And I'm talking about, I, I mean, I had like probably 30 different pictures of all these different uh, players. Some of them, some of the pictures are right on. Some of them are not. Are, are, you have to like really use your, you, you know, your, your, your artistic license to figure out who they are. Because, yeah. you know, these are embroidered patches from the 1980s for the most part. So here I am swiping through my phone with these pictures and saying, who's this? Who's this? And he, he got most of them, but the ones that he did not get, I would get down in their batting stances and imitate their batting stances. And then he would try to guess who the player was. For their <laughs> batting stances. So he That's couldn't great. guess Carney Lansford. I did Carney Lansford. Um, you know, remember how you get down on you know, the right handed oh, sure, hitter. Sure. You have that, you know, waggle the bat real fast. So we did this game for about 15 minutes in the press box. And by the end, we were both laughing so hard. Uh, and it, it was just such a cool moment for me, you know, uh, you know, son of a former uh, for, of a Hall of Famer, one of the all time greats in, in baseball history, laughing about batting stances and wristbands. It's just one of the cool kind of the cool parts of the job that you don't necessarily expect ever, but that happened from time to time. And it really makes you love what you do. So did you get a Tony Gwynn wristband? I have not yet. I have not yet. Um, I, I need to touch base with him again and, and see if he if his mother had any luck because um, a couple have come up on for sale on eBay. I have a search, a, a permanent search on my phone. Mm-hmm. So if ever one is posted on eBay, uh, I, I get an immediate alert. The last couple that wow. I've seen come up for sale in the last year have gone for uh, over $300 a piece. Oh my gosh! Wow, for one old ratty wristband, that's how tough they are to get. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, Why, we all have our things that we collect, so that's pretty. That's pretty cool. It, uh, last thing I want to ask you then: so, if you guys shared maybe batting cages as your youth, shared growing up in the what in the Laverne and Shirley, Milwaukee, um, you know, you and <laughs> Craig Council. Yeah, did you guys also then grow up reading Tom Hardricourt? Uh, yes, we both did. We absolutely wow. did. It's funny. Full talk about full circle, huh? Yeah. I can remember. So I, I was hired. I'm dating myself here. So I'll be 51 in September. Uh, September 2nd will be my 30th anniversary at the, at the newspaper in Milwaukee. So yeah. I started on September 2nd, 1992, 
when we were the Milwaukee Sentinel and the Milwaukee Journal. The Sentinel was the morning paper. The Journal was the afternoon. I worked at the Sentinel, and I started out as, a, as an agate clerk. So basically answering phones, taking scores, taking bowling scores, typing in boxes. That was my scores. first job at a newspaper. Yeah, there you go. So you know. Um, and during the off-seasons, for the particular professional sports, they would require the beat writers to come in and work desk shifts. Mm-hmm. So I would be aligned and sitting in a cubicle in the cubicle right next to Tom Hodricourt, who would be copy editing and making calls on the hard line phone, you know, trying to do note notebooks and, you know, uh, chasing down free agent rumors and trade rumors and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking as a kid, you know, college kid, like, wow, this guy is so cool. And wow, what a great job. And man, I'd be so lucky if I could ever do it. And then you know, 20 some years later, here I am working alongside Tom, living with Tom in spring training and ultimately becoming, you know, best of buds with him. And, uh, I re- I really, I'm really happy for him, uh, mm-hmm. enjoying, he's enjoying his life in retirement in Virginia and he's certainly earned it, but, uh, definitely miss him. One of my best buds and, uh, Brewers are going to DC next next month and Tom's going to make the journey up. Uh, it's a short car ride for him and we're going to, He's going to come to the ballpark on Sunday and, and check out check out the game, and then we're going to go out for dinner Great. after and catch up. So definitely looking forward to that. You'll have to brace counsel for the fact that he's going to get some Tom questions. That'll be good. <laughs> hey, That'll be good. I think he misses it. He they, yeah. those two. I mean, think about that. You know, Tom remembered Craig when Craig was a little kid coming to the ballpark with John, his dad, and then wow. Tom all of a sudden, you know, thirty years later covering Craig as the manager of the Brewers. I mean, it's just mind blowing on so many fronts and they would laugh about it, both of them together, you know, about it every so often. And Craig loved the back and forth with Tom for sure. You know, Tom, Tom was no shrinking violet. Uh, Tom (laughs) definitely loved the parrying back and forth. Yeah. And um, you know, those two are really fun to watch in action. It's definitely the dynamic has changed for sure. And, and, you know, Craig, Craig, Craig can be grumpy at times and he likes to play it off, but I know he really had a lot of respect for Tom and really enjoyed the time that he spent with Tom when Tom was on the beat. So I'm sure he'd love to see him again. That is Todd Rosiak, senior baseball writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You can find all of his work is at jsonline.com. That's jsonline.com. And if you have a Tony Gwynn, what, what are they? Sweatband. <laughs> Mims bands. Mims bands. If you have a Tony Gwynn Mims bands, that's the wristbands with his sweatbands with his with Tony Gwynn's artistic picture on them. Then you can reach out to Todd at Todd underscore Rosiak. That's R O S I A K. So if you have one and you just want to, now that he's told you how much they're worth, maybe not, but please just pass it along. You can help. How many, what other one, would that complete your collection? No, so I was I was actually just going to jump in here. There is one Cardinal that I also need, Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman, okay. Yes, so please, anybody that has a Vince Coleman that would be willing to part with it, I will pay good money for it. Uh, so I need Tony Gwynn, Vince Coleman, Ellis Burks. Oh, boy. Lloyd Mosby, and Cal Ripken. Those are the five that I knew. Wow. And the Cal Ripkins were orange, if I remember. Yeah. And they were very, very, he did not wear them in games. They were, they were samples only. So they were made for him, but never wore them in a game. So they're very, very, very scarce. Um, I did speak to Ellis Burks. He's a, he's a, he works for the Giants. He's Mm -hmm. a scout for them. And I taught, I told Ellis the same story that I told you or told Tony Gwynn Jr. So he also knows that I'm on the lookout for one. He thinks he might have some. Um, I got my, my very first one, that the very first player slash X player that ever gave me one was John Shelby, who was a, was a coach for the Brewers for, for a number of years. He was on the coaching staff when I started covering the team. That's mm-hmm. how I got in contact with James Mims. He put, uh, T-Bone, John Shelby put me in connect, uh, connected me with, with him. And that's how I became friends with James. So, um, you know, I could go on about these things forever, but yeah, anybody that's got any lead on any of those, those guys I just mentioned, please reach out. I'm very interested. There you go. Cardinal nation, help Todd find a Vince Coleman Mims band. That's, that's yes. the goal, right? Please. Okay. 
That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Todd, thank you very much uh, for this conversation, for for the insight into the Brewers, and for the uh, for the trip down memory lane for Milwaukee, uh, a place I went uh, not too often as a youth, but often enough. A lot of time in Madison for me. A lot yeah, of time yes. in Madison. Beautiful place. Yeah, good place. I spent a lot of my youth there with so much family there. Um, but we had side trips to Milwaukee, so I know my way around. Never went to the batting cage. Um, <laughs> but went to County Stadium, went to some other places. Um, Woolworths, I remember. Marshall sure. Field downtown. Oh, yeah, that. great place. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks, man. This has been great. I look forward to seeing you in St. Louis. And uh, we'll have to circle back and maybe just do a couple-hour-long podcast on MIMS bands and see how your collection's going. Derek, anytime, man. It's been a pleasure. I have not had this much. I have not had this much fun doing a podcast in a long time, and maybe ever. And I mean that. So uh, honestly, anytime you want to do this, would love to do it again. That's Todd Rosiak. Find him at JS Online. This has been the best podcast in baseball. You can find all of our Constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post Dispatch. Todd, thank you very much for saying that. Very much appreciated. For Todd Rosiak, I'm St. Louis Post Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks again, really, truly. Oh, my pleasure. I really, I meant to have had a blast. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I love, I love uh, bouncing back and forth between the, uh, you know, the hardcore baseball stuff and just kind of the more off the cuff fun stuff as well. And no pun intended. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs>